It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Listeners and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. The holidays are upon us, and Ohio Mysteries wants to thank you for tuning in two times a week to listen to our show. Please tell a friend or family member about us. It is the fastest way we can grow. Also, if you haven't already, please head on over to our Facebook group. Just search Ohio Mysteries inside Facebook, and you will find us. Now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. It's time for a new mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder. With us, as always, is our storyteller and journalist who spent 30-plus years telling these kinds of stories with the Akron Beacon Journal, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. Tonight, we've got a new installment in our occasional mob mentality series, where the mystery is one of human behavior. How can normally decent human beings be coaxed into doing things as part of a group that they would probably never do as individuals? This particular event has earned a place in American sports infamy, 10-cent beer night at Cleveland Municipal Stadium in 1974. It was a game-time riot so intense Players from both sides had to ward off drunken fans with bats and lock themselves in the clubhouse till police could arrive. Cleveland had to forfeit the game when an umpire dripping blood from a head wound decided there was no hope for restoring order. Besides, rabid fans had already ripped the bases from the field and hauled them away. But before we get to that fateful day, We have to go back six days earlier, because that's where the embers of this fire started burning. The Indians were in Texas, facing off against the Rangers at Arlington Stadium. And as it happens sometimes, a couple of questionable plays led to a bench-clearing brawl. The fight on the field soon ended, but the fans wanted their say. As Indians players and coaches returned to the dugout, they were pelted with food and beer. Indians catcher Dave Duncan was so incensed, he made a move as if to jump into the stands and take on the fans himself. He had to be restrained. The Rangers ended up winning that game three to nothing, and the incident was colorful enough that it made the evening sports news in many cities. But What probably really set things up for what was to come 
was when a Cleveland reporter tossed out a question to Rangers manager Billy Martin. You see, the Rangers were due to come to Cleveland the next week, and the reporter wondered if Martin was worried about retaliation there, to which the famously irreverent Billy Martin said, Nah, they won't have enough fans there to worry about. Oy, talk about an invitation to trouble. In the days leading up to the Rangers' arrival, emotions were stoked on local radio. Sports talk show host Pete Franklin and Indians radio announcer Joe Tate made repeated comments about the affair. And by game day, even the plane dealer signaled there might be a problem by printing a cartoon showing Chief Wahoo holding a pair of boxing gloves and the caption, Be Ready for Anything. So, even with nothing else, Tuesday, June 4, 1974, was shaping up to be a nail-biter. Oh, but we're not done yet. Because the day that the Rangers were coming to town was a pre-scheduled promotional event, 10-cent beer night. Cleveland had been doing cheap beer nights for the past three years without incident, The promotion, sponsored by Strohs, and intended to try and fill the seats in the massive stadium we had, offered unlimited 12-ounce cups of low-alcohol beer for 10 cents each. The regular price was 65 cents. That June the 4th, Cleveland Stadium filled with 25,134 fans, twice the number they expected. As the beer began to flow, the Rangers quickly took a 5-1 to lead. And each inning, you could just see the crowd becoming more and more inebriated and agitated. When a Cleveland batter hit a line drive into the stomach of the Rangers pitcher, fans started chanting, hit him again, hit him again, harder, harder. Then fans started slipping onto the field. A drunk woman ran out, flashed her breasts, and tried to kiss the umpire. A naked man sprinted out from nowhere and slid into second base. The inning after that, a father and son ran out onto the outfield and mooned the fans in the bleachers. But fans didn't even need to leave their seats to contribute to the growing trouble. They lobbed everything within reach out onto the field and at Rangers players. First baseman Mike Hargrove was pelted with hot dogs and spit and almost struck by an empty gallon jug. For some reason, hundreds of fans had firecrackers. It was never determined if or how they coordinated that, but throughout the game, they set them off at random intervals. Someone tossed lit firecrackers into the Rangers' bullpen. The unexpected explosions and clouds of smoke lent the entire game, in the words of one reporter, a war zone ambiance. That haze carried more than just the smell of exploded gunpowder. Witnesses said the smell of marijuana was everywhere. By the seventh inning, families and sober fans had had enough. They left the ballpark in droves until all that remained behind were the drunk and high rabble-rousers. It was going to get worse, much worse. 
Because the concession stands couldn't keep up with the demand for beer, the fans were invited to line up directly at the Stroh's company beer trucks. A writer once said it was like turning on an industrial-sized spigot. Game-wise, things had been going well. In the bottom of the ninth inning, the Indians rallied and tied the game 5-5. to They even had the game-winning run on base. But far from settling the crowd down, it only made them more excited. A 19-year-old fan ran onto the field and attempted to steal the cap from the head of Texas outfielder Jeff Burroughs. Burroughs went to confront the fan, but tripped. Texas manager Billy Martin thought the fan had attacked his player and charged onto the field with his players right behind him, some of them wielding bats. Cleveland fans, still in their seats, decided they were needed. Some had knives on them. Others tore apart their seats to get pieces that could be used as clubs. Then they surged onto the field, some 200 fans surrounding the 25 Rangers trapped on the field. Cleveland manager Ken Aspromonte realized that the Rangers' very lives were in danger. He ordered his players to grab bats and go defend them, and they did, swinging at fans to hold them at bay. Instead of backing off, fans now broadened their enemy list to include the Cleveland players. Everyone was fair game. Cleveland and Texas players worked together, protecting each other as they found their way to the dugout, escaped inside the clubhouse, and locked the doors behind them. Outside, fans continued to spiral out of control. They pulled up and stole the bases and littered the field with rocks, food containers, folding chairs. The umpire crew chief, himself bleeding from cuts to his head and hand where he'd been hit with part of a stadium seat, knew there was no hope for continuing. He called the game over, Cleveland forfeiting to Texas. In the press box, Joe Tate and Herb Score called the riot live on the radio. This is absolute tragedy, Tate said. Cleveland's security force of 50 was overwhelmed. After a solid 20 minutes of rioting, Cleveland police finally arrived, filling two dozen cruisers. A dozen fans were arrested, and the stadium was emptied. In the parking lot, Indians players escorted the Rangers to their team bus. Later, it was revealed Cleveland sold an estimated 60,000 cups of beer to the 25,000 in attendance. Believe it or not, Cleveland did not end their cheap beer night promotions. They held another one the next month on July 18th, with nearly 42,000 fans showing up. But they made one adjustment. Fans were limited to two 10-cent cups per person. I don't suppose that actually limits how much one person is drinking, but we did not have a repeat of that infamous night. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to ohiomysteries.com. Also, for more shows like ours, head on over to killerpodcasts.com. We are a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. America, we are endowed by our creator, 
with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu.